Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Here we go. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us today. And Jesus, we thank you for, um, for, for our church family. God, I thank you that this truly is a family. Uh, where there are truly brothers and sisters, uh, where there are spiritual fathers. And God, I thank you for uh, people that will commit themselves to me and whom I can commit myself to. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in such a way that we, we help everybody to grow closer to Christ, to become who you have made them in faith. Father, we ask it in Jesus. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Paul, uh, from what we know, did not have any biological children. Some people have speculated that Paul uh, might have been married kind of prior to his conversion, but nobody knows anything about that, really, uh, as far as for sure. But of the 13 books that we have that the Apostle Paul has written in the New Testament, and then we also have the book of Acts that talks a lot about his life, and then there's a couple other references to him in some other books in the New Testament. In any of those, we, we have no evidence or no reason to believe that Paul was married, nor that he had ever ever had any biological children. And so it could be said that Paul was not a father in the biological sense of what it means to be a father, okay? However, and and this is the beauty of of the way that Paul sees the church and the way that he communicates to us to see the church, Paul is, is convinced that he is a spiritual father, okay? Paul sees the church as a family, and within that family unit, Paul sees himself as a spiritual father. Not just in Corinth, but really all over that he's gone. Let me give you some other examples of that. Philemon chapter uh, 1. There's only one chapter, but verse 10 says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. In, uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, it talks about Timothy, and it says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And in Titus, it talks about Titus, Titus 1, 4. And Paul says to Titus, my true child in the common faith. In Galatians, Paul talks about the Galatian church in Galatians 4, 19. And he says, I'm in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul talks about the church in Thessalonica. And he says, I was like a father with his children to you. And here in Corinth, in, in, the, in the church at Corinth, in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter Chapter 4, in verse 15, Paul says, For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
Okay, so Paul clearly sees the church as a family. Okay, I don't know if, if you, you really see it that way. Maybe you just see this as a place where you go to hear something or a place where you go to worship or a place where you go to, to hear a lecture or something like that. But that's really not the case in the New Testament. The New Testament very clearly would describe what we have here together as a family. Okay, and Paul would see himself within the church as, as being a spiritual father to the church. And again, not a biological father, but a spiritual father. Notice as he says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay. So in other words, what Paul means is, is that he communicated the gospel to these people. He preached the gospel to them. He was the one that came and told them about Christ, about his death, about his burial, about his resurrection. These people believed, okay? Faith was conceived in their heart. And the Bible, if we, if we use Jesus' words, how did Jesus describe conversion? He called it being born again, okay? So, so Paul brings the gospel to the Corinthians. They hear the gospel. They believe the gospel. They're born again. And then like in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul describes feeding them with new milk, okay, with, with milk as newborn babes. And he's talking about the teachings of the Bible, okay? So in a real sense, Paul sees himself as a spiritual father. He sees that should be the relationship within the church is a family where there's brothers and sisters and, and mothers and fathers, and that we take care of each other as a family takes care of each other, okay? Now, what I hope happens today is that we be, as we look at, at Paul's um, Paul's relationship with his church, my, my prayer is, first of all, that, that the pastors of Lincoln Avenue would have a spiritual father's heart toward the congregation, okay? So partly this, this message is for me and for Pastor Chris and for Pastor Andrew, that we would begin to see ourselves in this way. We begin to act like Paul acts toward the church at Corinth, okay? But I want to spread it out as well to leaders, okay? Men who are leaders, men who are leaders in their own family, men who will be spiritual fathers to their body biological children, okay? Not every, not every man at Lincoln Avenue is going to be a pastor. Not every man's going to be an elder. Not every man's even going to have biological children. But our hope is that there will be spiritual fathers in this church, okay? Uh, spiritual fathers to the congregation and also spiritual fathers to their biological children. Our hope is that there would be dads who, who have biological children and then those dads would become spiritual fathers to those children. They would share the gospel and live the gospel and model the gospel and love the gospel and influence their children in the gospel and cultivate in those kids a spiritual heart and a spiritual conviction. They would be their spiritual father. Now, what about everybody else? Okay, what about the ladies in the room? What about the kids in the room? Well, I think there's lots here for us as well because first of all, when we take spiritual principles like this, normally they're they're very specific for certain people, but then they apply to everybody. Okay, let me give you a great example of that. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we looked at this passage uh, about a year ago, I think, actually. Uh, it's the qualifications for who should be a pastor, okay? So this specifically applies to myself. It specifically applies to, to Pastor Chris and Pastor Andrew. But no, notice what it says, First Timothy 3, 1. This saying is trustworthy. Anyone who aspires to the office of overseer, that's a pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be, okay, and then it lists some qualifications, must be, first of all, above reproach. Remember what above reproach means? It means like if there's a line here and on this side it's not sin and on this side it is sin, okay? What it's saying is that a pastor should definitely be way over here. He should live way over here. You, you should not look at his life and kind of wonder, I think that guy's living in sin. I think he's across the line. You shouldn't, okay? So it's clear that, that, that First Timothy is telling us that a pastor should live over over here. Now, does that mean that everybody else can live right here? Obviously not, right? 
I mean, it's not, it's not telling everybody else, hey, live as close to sin as you want, you know, just as long as you're not a pastor, okay? No, obviously it's not saying that. You know, obviously there's a spiritual principle there that says, you know what's healthy for you spiritually? To live as far away from sin as you can, okay? Don't, don't get right up to it. Don't flirt with sin. Don't tempt yourself with sin, okay? So there's a spiritual principle there that applies to everybody. If we go on through this list, things like uh, the husband and one wife, is it just Pastor Chris and Andrew and I that, that should love our wives in such a way that there's no question in anybody else's mind that there's one woman for us? You know, is that just for us? What is for us? Isn't that for every other man in this church that's married? Absolutely. Okay. Well, so we look at other things, uh, sober minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. There are other things in that passage that definitely have application for everybody. So as we look at this church at Corinth, as we look at, at Paul describing it as a family and describing himself as a spiritual father, do the principles in the passage have application for everybody? Absolutely. Okay, let me let me give you a quick one. We should be responsible. We 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 should have a feeling of responsibility for each other's souls. Okay, does that make sense? We should all of us. We should not be like Cain. You remember Cain's attitude? God God appears to him. Hey Cain, where's your brother Abel? Remember Cain? Hey, I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not his babysitter. Why are you asking me about Abel? Well, it's because you just buried him in a shallow grave, ten foot from there. You know. But, but did you see his heart? His heart is, hey, I'm not responsible. But hey, there, there's a spiritual principle here that in a family, we're family. And, and, and so, so is, is it true that the pastors ought to, ought to feel a sense of responsibility for your souls? Yes. Okay. But should Paula also feel a responsibility for Michelle's soul? Yes. Okay. Yes. We ought to feel a responsibility. We ought to care about each other. We to, you, you ought to care. You ought to care about Billy Reagan's soul. And you ought to care about Fred Martin's soul. You ought to care about Dave Biffle's soul. You ought to care about David Evans' soul. We ought to care about each other because we're in a family. That's what families do, right? And that's the picture here in 1 Corinthians, all right? So I think there's lots of stuff here. In fact, I think actually there's going to be some of you who are parents who are going to make some application in this passage, even for your parenting, okay? Now, that's not the purpose of this passage, and I want to be real clear about that. The purpose is Paul is using the image of a father, okay, and he's pushing it into the church, and he's saying, look, this is who, we, who I am to you. I am a spiritual father. But as we go through and look at these, I guarantee you, I know what's going to happen. You're, you're going to make some own application for your own parenting. I did. I mean, as I studied this, I mean, it just reminded me what kind of father, biological father I ought to be. And, and here's the truth of the matter, guys. Pastoring and parenting are similar things. Okay? Let, let me show you that. Okay? First uh, Timothy 3, 4, and 5. It says, He must manage his own, it's talking about a pastor, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Okay, what that says is that that I ought to manage my house as a pastor of this church. Part of being that pastor, part of what qualifies me to be a pastor is that that I manage my kids well, that I manage my household well. Does that mean that I do always do it right? No, I'm going to give you an illustration pretty soon of where I didn't. Okay, does that mean that that my kids always do it right? No, but it it means we're managing it in a Christ like fashion, according to the scriptures. Uh, Verse five, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? What it's saying there is that pastoring and parenting are similar skill sets. Okay. I mean, it's very possible that a guy can be a lousy father and a great welder. Is that possible? Sure, sure. Is it possible that a guy can be a lousy father and a great scientist? You bet. Possible for a guy to be a lousy father and a great um, uh, truck driver? You bet, okay? Possible for a guy to be a lousy father and a good pastor? Eh. You know why? Because they're similar, okay? 
It's not that we got to earn, you know, but it's just those are similar skill sets, okay? They're, they're, they're a similar thing. Pastoring and parenting are very similar in nature, okay? So what you're going to see as we go through these is, is there, the application is going to go across the board. We're going to have application for our church, but I also think you're going to have application for your families as well, okay? So let's look at some, some principles here about spiritual fathering, okay? Paul's spirit, being a spiritual father to the church at Corinth, okay? First of all, notice that a spiritual father, this is number one, is not looking to shame, but he is looking to admonish. Okay. He says that in verse 14, he says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed. We'll talk about what, what occurs in the, in the seven or eight verses before this passage in just a minute. But let me just tell you, Paul says some hard things. Okay. And, and, And when he gets done with saying those hard things in verse 14, he says, I don't say these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Ask yourself this question. What's the difference between shaming somebody and admonishing somebody? Okay, now admonishing, admonishing is a strong word. It means to correct. It means to, uh, to warn. Okay, it has a connotation of warning somebody, correcting somebody. You know, hey, hey, you're going in the wrong direction there. Whoa, 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 whoa. Be careful. You need, you need to go in this other direction. You know, you're in danger here. You know, you, you're in sin. Man, you're in trouble. Okay? But Paul says, look, I don't tell you these things to shame you. I tell you these things because you are my beloved child. I love you, and so I'm admonishing you. I'm not shaming you. You, you see, there's a big difference in those two. A lot of times there's not a difference in, in, in what, what the person's trying to accomplish. A lot of times people will use shame to try to direct a person in the right direction, right? Isn't that true? That, that, that happens, don't you? Have you, have you ever seen that? You see this in ball, uh, on the ball field in, in athletics a lot, you know? Some kid, he gets hit in, in the leg with a, a ground ball, you know, poof! You know, he's out there playing t-ball. What's he do? You know, he's 10. <laughs> you know, he drags his leg in, you know? And, it, and his dad comes over and he's like, what are you, a girl? You know, come on, I'm going to get you a dress, you know? And you know, Let me get you some lipstick, yeah, big, but, you know. Well, what's he trying to do? He's trying to get the guy to get out there and go play third base, okay? That's what he's trying to do, right? But, but his motive is shame, okay? Now, now we've got to be real careful with that. we got to be real careful with that because that's not always the best motive, okay? There are times when, there's other times in the, in the Gospels, honestly, if, if we're going to look through all of Paul's epistles, there's times where Paul says, you ought to be ashamed. Okay? You ought to feel... I mean, there's times where shame is good. There are times where you do certain things, you ought to be ashamed. Okay, But what Paul is saying is that as a spiritual father, he's not just trying to shame his spiritual children. He's trying to admonish them. Okay, Because he loves them. Okay? Now, what does he mean by admonish? It, it means he, he, he's, he's not trying to make him just feel bad. His, his, his point is not just so that they'll hang their heads and feel rotten about themselves. Okay? That's not what Paul's trying to do. He doesn't just want them to drag their, their tail between their legs and walk off and feel like, man, we are lousy Christians. Let's just give up. You know, That's not his point at all. What Paul wants to do is to change the direction of their life. They're going in the wrong direction. They're, they're living in a wa- wrong way. And so Paul is admonishing them as a father. He's correcting. He's warning. He, he, he's trying to get them to see you're headed in a bad direction. Why? Because he loves them as his children. You see, on, on the one side, we, we got over here, we've got a, a, a type of a father who, 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 who is so harsh and so shaming that, that, that he doesn't accomplish his purpose of, of turning his kid in the right direction. But on the other hand, we got another kind of father over here. He doesn't shame his kids. You know what he does? Nothing. I mean, he just doesn't do anything. Okay. He, he didn't, he didn't try. This is, this is like Eli. 
Remember Eli in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel? There's a guy named Eli. And not, here's the bad thing about Eli. Not only is Eli a biological father, he is also a spiritual father to the nation of Israel. He's a prophet. He's a, he's a priest, okay? And, and he's a priest, actually. And, and, and he's got two sons. And these two sons are rebellious against the Lord. They're, they're blaspheming God. They're, they're abusing the priesthood. And do you know what Eli does? Nothing. Nothing. And God condemns Eli. God condemns Eli and all of his house. You know why? Because he did not admonish his children. And, and, and so, so Paul is saying, look, as a spiritual father, look, I'm saying some hard things to you, but I'm saying them to you, number one, because I'm your, I'm, your, I'm your spiritual father. I love you. I care about you. You're my beloved children. I'm saying hard things to you, but it's not to shame you. It's not because I'm, I'm trying to put you down and beat you down and make fun of you. No, it's because I really love you and I'm trying to correct you and turn you into the, to, to the right direction. The Bible says that, that the word of God is perfectly suited for this kind of ministry. Okay, Dads, you, you want to know how, how you ought to admonish your kids, spiritual men in this church? You want to know how we're to admonish one another? We're to do it through the word of God. Listen to what the Bible says about itself. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. Listen to this, for correction. Did you hear that? For correction. Okay. All scriptures inspired by God and it's useful for correction. Um, the Bible is, is useful to correct people, to turn them in the right direction. And, and the important thing is that, that a spiritual man attempts to do that through the word of God. You know what would have been really easy for Paul to do? Just to do nothing. Just to give up. Just to let him go. You know, especially because he doesn't even live in Corinth anymore. You know, it's kind of hard for us. You know, because sometimes we live here in a small town. Sometimes somebody twists off into sin and they used to be a, 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 an active member in this church. And we all feel awkward about it. We don't know quite what to say. And sometimes we kind of try and we send them some text. Hey, been missing you. You know, sometimes we even go the next step and, you know, hey, I need to talk to you. Hey, we need to meet. Hey, you know what? You're, you're making a mistake here. Hey, I'm praying for you. Let me pray for you now. Sometimes we take those steps. But, you know, honestly, sometimes and, and before the Lord, we're going to probably be accountable for this sometimes we just let them go man i'm convicted of that the bigger we get the harder that is too here let me let me read you some things about paul this this passage this this verse struck me acts twenty thirty one. he tells the church at ephesus be alert remembering that for three years i did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears Man, if, if Paul's being literal there, and I think he is, for three years, every day, man, I, I was brokenhearted over your life. And, and I warned you, I admonished you, I corrected you. I, I tried to steer you in the right direction you know, the whole time I was there. And now even, even after he's left Corinth and he hears a report that this church is not doing well, man, he's trying everything he can to get back there. He's sending Timothy. He's writing them letters. He's saying, man, I love you guys. I'm your spiritual father. He cares about, he has a long-term commitment to the people of God. Man, I love that. I want to be that. I want us to be that. I want, I want us to have a long-term commitment to one another. Where we, we, we're, we're in this deal together through thick and thin. Wasn't that, isn't that awesome? Isn't that a beautiful picture? We, we need to have that. All right, number two. Spiritual fathers snap us back to reality. 
There's times where we don't see things correctly. Amen? Right? And especially as children, okay? Both spiritual children and physical children. I was thinking about this just as a, a, a physical you know, child of my, of my biological dad. I was thinking about how many times my dad had to bring me back to reality. I was thinking about, uh, I was about 13 years old. I remember this like it was yesterday. I can still see it in my mind. I can see the commercial. Um, but I was sitting in my, in my uncle's house and it was like Thanksgiving. My dad was there. My uncle was there. A bunch of people were there. And I was 13 and I was fixing to get my driver's license. In Kansas, you get a driver's license when you're 14. And I've been working on the farm. I worked all summer long. I worked for like three bucks an hour or something, driving tractor all day. And, uh, man, I was, I was making three bucks an hour, you know. And I thought, man, I am, I am rich, you know. And I remember this, this uh, commercial came on for a Mazda RX-7, okay. Uh, some of you probably remember what those, those were, but it was a little sports car. And I remember the price, $11,999, okay. And I remember turning to my uncle and my dad and saying, you know what? I think I can buy one of those. I think I can swing the payments on that, you know? And I remember my dad and uncle laughing. They weren't so gentle. They were laughing and they brought me back to reality that I could not make the payments on that car. And what I ended up getting was a, a Ford Bobcat, which is a Pinto with a spoiler on it, uh, a used Ford Bobcat. I said that in the first service. Evidently, my wife put one on Facebook. She told me that after this last service. She said, because uh, a bunch of people in the second service are like, what's a pinto? What's a pinto? Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm starting to talk like that. That's what happens when you're 40. You know, you tell stories and the young people are like, I never heard of that. What's that? <laughs> so anyway, she put one on Facebook, I guess, a picture of one. So if you want to see a bobcat, I'm going to go look at that, relive it. It's glory days. <laughs> they brought me back to reality, okay? Paul's doing that same thing here. This church is not, man, they're not seeing things correctly. They don't see themselves correctly. You know what they're doing? We've seen this throughout the, these three chapters. They're picking at each other, you know? They're, they're aligning. And one of them saying, well, you know, we're the Apollos group, you know? We're the spiritual ones in the church. Another group, no, we're the Paul group, and we're the spiritual ones. You know, well, we're the Peter group, you know? I mean, it'd just be like us factioning ourselves and the joy group saying, you know what, those, that, that, that faith crowd group, they don't do anything spiritual, and we're the spiritual ones, and, you know, the women's ministry, we're the ones that do the in-depth Bible study, people talking about each other, and they're even criticizing Paul. In 1 Corinthians 4, 3, it says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. They were judging Paul. They were kind of standing up in judgment over Paul and they were, they were telling who was spiritual and who wasn't. They were exalting themselves. They were becoming Christian critics. Christian critics. Those two words should never go together. Okay? That's like saying you got a vegetarian butcher shop. Okay? I mean, it doesn't go together. Now, now not that we don't deal with sin. You come back next week, it's, it's t- we start the tough stuff next week, okay? First Corinthians 5, you're going to see that a church is to deal with sin. We're to deal with sin. We're, we're not just to let sin go. We're not to, to not care about people enough. We don't care if they live in sin, okay? We're, we're to deal with those who are committed believers within our fellowship, all right? That's a true thing. That's not what this is about, though. They're just being critical of one another. And they're, they're standing exalting themselves. And they're putting down Paul. And they're acting like they're high and mighty. And, and they've got it all figured out. And they've got all the answers. And they're not accountable to anybody. And so what Paul does as a spiritual father is he brings them back to a reality check. Okay, now, we've got to be real careful here because Paul uses sarcasm here. Now, the reason I say we've got to be careful is because is I don't want you to leave here saying, see, I have the gift of sarcasm, you know? And Paul, because you, you, let, me, let me just tell you this. From my own experience, sarcasm can be used in a helpful way, but many times it's not, Okay. 
Now, so that's my warning. Now let's look at what Paul does. Before we look at what Paul does, let me give you an example of how this might look in a family, okay? You're, you're probably still trying to think, what do you mean, reality check? What, I don't get what you're saying. Okay, let me, let, me, let me show you what this might look like in a biological family, and then we'll transfer over and look at it in the church, and spiritually toward one another, okay? So in a biological family, this, this is how it might look like, okay? Um, if, 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 if we're at home and uh, we've got this thing going on in our couch, where we've got somebody sitting over here and then somebody else sits down like on the edge, you know, what might happen is, you know, one of the kids will be like, get off. I was on the couch. You know, I was going to, I was going to put my feet there. You know, don't touch me. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. So let's say that happens. And then, and then they get up to go to the kitchen to get a snack and they, they open up the cupboard and they're like, Somebody ate the last little Debbie cake. I wanted that. Mom said I could have one. Who ate it? Hadn't you ate it? You've already had 10. You know, I mean, they're just, you know, all that. And then, then they go back in the living room and someone's turned the channel. And they're like, yeah, I was watching that. I was watching the Croc Hunter. I don't want to watch Barbie. You know, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and then, and then we say, okay, kids, time, time to do the dishes. You guys unload the dishwasher. And, and, and that same kid comes in. They're huffing. Not, now they're not doing drugs, but they're... <sighs> You know, got to do the dishes, you know, okay? Now, in that setting, a father might use sarcasm to bring reality to the situation, okay? How might that look? Well, the dad might do something like this. He might say, oh, I am sorry, oh, King Almighty, you know, please forgive us for asking you to do any kind of chore, you know. It's your mother and I's responsibility to clean up and pick up after you. And even though we clean the toilet and we clean when you miss your aim and we clean the crackers that you spilled on the floor and then ground them in with your feet. And even though your mom stayed up late last night sewing your little silly costume for February day, you know, even though we shouldn't have asked you to do anything, oh, Most Highness, please come back to your throne. See, can you imagine a father doing something like that? You know, what, what are they doing? They're, they're bringing back reality, right? Because what's the reality? You're acting like you're the king of this place. You're not. Okay. Paul does that here. Listen, listen to what he says to these folks. Verse six. He says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. He says, oh man, you guys, you, you guys evidently got it all together. You've, you've got everything. Without us, you become kings, you're kings, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, as men sentenced to death, because we become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ. Paul says, we, we the apostles, we're fools. He says, oh, no, not you, not you. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You're held in honor, but we're in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst, and we're poorly dressed, and we're buffeted and homeless, and we labor, and we work with our own hands, and we're reviled. We, we bless when we're persecuted. We endure when we're, when we're slandered. We entreat. We become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now, what, what does Paul do there? He says, you guys are acting like you're kings. You're standing in judgment over everybody else. You're picking apart everybody's ministry. You know what the apostles are doing? We're down in the trenches serving people just like Jesus did. See, he brings them back to reality. There are times where a spiritual father will bring somebody back to reality. That's part, that's part of being a spiritual father. I've told you this story a bunch of times, but it's a great story. Um, shortly after brother Andrew got here, uh, we were at kids camp and, uh, we had just been at falls Creek and it was really hot and the kids were really annoying that year. And, uh, we were just having, I was having a bad day. I didn't really want to be there, honestly. And I, I kind of made some complaining remarks to Andrew and Andrew just said, very, you heard me say this before. Andrew said very calmly, he said, well, pastor, it's better than hell. You know, 
That's exactly what he was doing. Do you, do you see that? Spiritual reality check. Okay? Because what was I doing? I was acting like, man, this is this great service of sacrifice that here I am serving. And what, what did Andrew help me to see? You know what, Pastor? You deserve to be in hell. And you're not, by the grace of God. So you should be thankful. It's a reality check, isn't it? Any of you ever, uh, ever been unforgiving? I've, I've done this very same thing to, to lots of people, actually. They'll come in and they'll make their great case about why they should not forgive somebody. And by golly, how dare they treat me this way? And how dare they do that to me? How dare they do that? And I, I'm not making the first move. And I'll just usually calmly say something about, well, you know, I, I guess that's the way Jesus treats us, right? What, what are we doing there? A little reality check. What's the reality check? Reality check is... You've sinned against Jesus a million times more than anybody's ever sinned against you. And if Jesus did just what you're doing, you'd perish without hope. Right? It's a reality check. Okay? Paul, Paul gives a reality check. Thirdly, I think this is three, three or four, I don't know. Next. <laughs> Spiritual fathers are able to say, imitate me. This is the big thing. No, let's let's read 15 and 16 together. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. Man, I tell you what's helpful. You know what's really helpful? It's helpful to have somebody proclaim truth to you. you. You know what's doubly helpful is when they proclaim truth to you. And then you are able to turn around and see that same truth in their life. Man, that's helpful. I'm telling you, it is. I mean, I, mean, I, I tell you, humility. Take, take something like humility. Okay? How, what does humility look like? I mean, I can get up here and preach a sermon on humility. I can tell you about humility. I can tell you that Jesus was humble. We can see it in his life, which is really helpful, okay, by the way. I mean, God does the same thing, okay? He gives us these truths, and then you know what he does? He sends Jesus in the form of human flesh, and he says, all right, now this is what it looks like, okay? And it's really helpful when I see humility being lived out in somebody's life, when I see it in somebody's marriage. Man, that's a beautiful thing to see somebody be humble with their spouse, you know, and, and not put up the wall and not, well, you did that. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not coming to you, you know, but humble themselves, humble themselves in the workplace, man. You know, when everybody's puffed up and, you know, all looking out for themselves and you, and you see somebody come in with Christ-like humility, man, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you're able to be like, Ooh, that's what it looks like. Right there. That's what that looks like. I'm going to do that. We need, we need spiritual men who will not only speak truth, but who will live truth. Who will live it in such a way that other people can say, I'm going to do what he did. And by following you, they'll follow Jesus. You see, it only works if we're following Jesus. Ephesians, Ephesians 5.1 says imitate God, okay? But if we're imitating God, then, then other people are able to imitate us. And in so doing, they're imitating Christ. But you know the reality? A lot of guys don't want to do this. Here, here's, here's where we really separate the men from the boys. Who, who's going to be a spiritual father? Well, a spiritual father's got to be willing to open up his life, first of all, so that people can see. You, you, know, what, you know what we want to do? We want to stay far enough back 
enclosed enough where people can't see our lives, right? And then on Sunday, we come out and we say, hey, y'all need to love people. Jump back in, you know. Hey, y'all need to be generous. No, don't you look at my finances, you know. Hey, y'all you, you, need to turn the other cheek. You know, don't, don't, don't look at what I did yesterday, though. That's what we want to do. Sometimes biological fathers are notorious for this, you know. Son, you need to go church with your mother. Right? Son, you need, you need to go to school tomorrow, and I, I, want, you to, I want you to be nice to that, that kid. I don't, I don't want to see another note. I do not want to see another note from the principal. You do not... You better not be caught fighting again. Well, Dad, how come you hate Mr. Hank across the street who borrowed your bandsaw five years ago and broke it? You know, don't you worry about that. You know, but you go to school and be nice to that kid. You know what? It's hard to be a spiritual father when either number one, you don't want people to see your life. Or number two, your life doesn't match. Or maybe you got rules for everybody else, but don't apply to you. You know, you want there to be a church and you want there to be a building to come to and you want there to be ministries. You want there to be a children's ministry and you want there to be a youth ministry and you want there to be preaching and you want there to be music. But you're not you're not going to give. You're not going to serve. You're not going to you're not going to be a part of any of that. But you wanted there to be. No, that's not a spiritual father. A spiritual father is a person who's able to say. Do what I do. If you do what I do, this deal works. You know why? Because I'm doing what Jesus does. And so if I'm doing what Jesus does and you do what I do, I want you to look at Jesus, but, but I'm going to help you see him by my life. Now, let me tell you where this gets really tough. Every man in this room, I bet you, including me, you know the struggle we've got? We say, all right, Pastor, that's great, but here's what I realize. I'm not perfect. I blow it. You're right. You do. In fact, if you said you didn't, I'd call you a liar. Because 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we do not sin, we deceive ourselves and we lie against the truth. Okay? So what Paul is calling for here is not perfection. Okay? Well, you say, well, what does he mean then? Imitate me. Just imitate certain parts of my life? Well, I, I don't think so. Let, 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 me, let me explain what I think Paul's saying. Number one, I think Paul is saying, imitate the pattern of my life. The direction of my life. Okay? If I'm going to Oklahoma City, okay? I'm going to Oklahoma City, and about midway there between Watonga and Ceiling, I reach down for my, my, my Coke, and when I do, I swerve off the road, okay? And I go in the ditch, and I go into a spin, and ah, you know, and everything finally stops, and I'm still on all four wheels. <laughs> Get my calm, you know, wipe my sweat, put it back in drive, pull out of the ditch and, back, ditch and back on the road, okay? Was I going to Oklahoma City? Yes, okay? Has, my, has the pattern of my life ever changed? No. Did I make a mistake and go in the ditch? Yeah, I did. Okay. Okay. But, but the direction of my life was still Oklahoma City, right? I wasn't going to Buffalo. I was going to Oklahoma City. Now, I slipped off the road and I remedied my mistake and I put my pop back up where I could reach it and I fixed the problem. But, but the, the trajectory of my life was the same. Does that make sense? What's the trajectory of your life? Okay. Is it obedience? I mean, as you look at your life as a whole, is it obedience? Is it serving the Lord? Is it loving your neighbor? Is it loving God? And then you have little blips of going in the ditch. Or is the trajectory of your life something else, you know, and you really love yourself and you, you love, you love uh, your stuff and you love your money. And every once in a while you have a little going in the ditch in the right direction, but really the path of your life is a different way. 
I mean, I mean, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying the, the path. He's not saying I'm perfect. He's saying the path of my life is this way. Follow me. I think Paul's saying imitate me in the gospel. Imitate me in appropriating the gospel. You, you know what I saw growing up? I lived in a great community, a farming community. I, I saw great men of moral character. You know what I didn't ever see? Just because they didn't let me see, really. I never saw guys who lived the gospel. Now, let me explain that. I'm not saying anything about their... I just never saw it. In other words, I, I, I never had opportunity to, to see a guy or to hear a guy say, man, I, I spoke harshly to my wife last night. And I tell you what, God just convicted me. And, and I just, you know, I, I prayed to the Lord this morning. God, that was a sin. And Lord Jesus, I put that sin on your cross and I trust your blood to cover it. And now I repent of it. And Lord, I'm heading straight to town to buy roses and a card. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this deal right with my wife. Man, I never had guys who told me that, showed me that. Now, did it happen? I'm assuming it did, okay? Because I know they're not perfect and I know they were good men. But I never got to see that part of their life. And, and, and so, so I don't think Paul's asking for perfection. In fact, I think sometimes it's really helpful for people to see and imitate us living the gospel. Let me give you an example of this. I'm not sure if this is a good idea or a bad idea, but I've done it in the other two services, so I'll do it in this one too. Um, I don't know if it was demons or I don't know what it was. It's, it's just really silly. But... I uh, I kind of blew it last night with my kids. Nothing serious, but for a Saturday night and for our devotional time, it was kind of tragic. But uh, what had happened? We had a good day. We actually even went skating together as a family, and uh, we just had a had a great time together. We'd come back. My sermon was not coming together, and I was I was struggling over that. Of course, I'm turning forty, so I'm getting cranky anyway. You know, <laughs> struggling with that. I told the kids. We set a timer. Timer goes off. Kids know. You go upstairs, get your jammies on, go to the bathroom, brush your teeth, wait for dad. Dad's coming up. We're going to read, we're going to read our wing feather series. We've been reading a chapter out of it every night, which is awesome, by the way, man, I'm just loving it. Um, we usually, we read a little play for your people group that Andrew and Michelle got us. We've been praying through those. Um, we usually have some tickles and some tucking in and pray for each kid. And, you know, it's just our, our nightly deal. So we go, I get up there after they're supposed to all be ready. I get up there. Haven has done nothing, nothing. <laughs> I don't know what she did, but she hadn't gone to the bathroom. She didn't have her jammies on. She didn't nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pressed, too. I'm, I need to get back down and get my sermon. So I'm getting her, her clothes on. I'm getting her jammies on. I'm getting her toothbrush and everything. And she says to me, and I'm not going to tell you what she said, but she, she uses this voice of contempt as much as a four-year-old can use it. And, and she basically criticizes. She tells me I'm doing a bad job at a certain thing. Okay? Now, I'm not going to tell you what she said. The reason I'm not going to tell you what she said is because when my wife got home later that night, I'm just sitting there like this, thinking about what had happened. And she's like, what happened? And I told her the story, and I told her what Haven said. She cracked up. She laughed the whole rest of the time of the story. And so I really want this to be serious, so I'm not going to tell you what she said. But So she, she tells me I'm doing a bad job at a certain thing, okay? And just does it with this voice of contempt. And I don't know. I, I you. I think if you're a Christian, you identify with this. There's just times where it's like, what? You weren't expecting it or whatever. But I took the toothbrush. I was holding her toothbrush. And I threw it in the sink. I grabbed her hand. I pulled her in the bedroom. And I put her in her bed. And 
at this point, she's kind of, you know, and, and, and I took the book from my son and I just sat there and just this wave of guilt came over me and I realized I'm preaching on spiritual fatherhood tomorrow. What kind of idiot are you? And I, and I was just, I really, I'm honest. I was just overwhelmed with despair. And, um, I gave the book back to my son and I just, I just started praying. I didn't even pray for them. I don't think I just prayed for me. And I just said, God, you know, I just feel like a bad dad. I shouldn't have lost my temper with Haven. It was stupid. It wasn't over anything big. You know, I'm sorry. I, I appropriate the blood of Jesus. I come to the blood of Jesus, to the cross. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for my kids' forgiveness. You know, amen. Now, what I should have done, here's really, actually up to this point, I, I don't know that I'm ashamed of anything. But at this point, I should have believed the gospel. And I should have picked the book back up and we should have had a good time together. But instead, I just kind of drug out like I wasn't forgiven, you know. I turned off the light, I shut the door, and I went downstairs. And anyway, I, I blew it. I blew it. But here's, here, guys, I, I just tell you that story because I, I think sometimes we feel like if we mess up, that it's over, you know. But I, I, think, I don't think Paul's saying perfection here. When he says, imitate me, I think he's, he's saying, whenever you spin out, you know, get your bearings, go to the cross, do it, repent of your sin, put it back in drive, and get back on the road. That's exactly what we're going to do. I told the kids, I told them, I said, I just told them about an hour ago. I said, guys, tonight we're reading two chapters out of the Wing Feather series, you know, for missing the one. We're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to read our people group book. We're going to tickle. We're going to tuck in. And we're going to sing just to tick the devil off, you know. <laughs> but we're going to make up for this deal. And we're going to get back on the road. Okay? I think that's a way of saying, imitate me. Guys, even when you mess up, here's what you do. You go to the cross. You don't give up. You don't stay in the ditch. You don't walk away like a pouty puss. You get back on the road. Um, Paul provided for his spiritual children. That's the next point. Man, we're, I didn't finish this in any service. Um, he provided for his spiritual children. Uh, you ever, you ever know a kid that looks just like his dad? You know, isn't that funny? Like mannerisms and everything. <clears throat> we had a, a pastor when I was in college, looked just like his dad, part of his hair, just like his dad. Um, his name was Dustin, and his dad's name was Kenny. You've met Kenny here before. And he would even stand at the church as a five-year-old kid, and he would shake hands, you know, after his dad shook him. And he would say the things his dad shook, said. You know, I remember leaving there one time, him and I left, and we just thought this was so funny. He shook our hands. He's like, appreciate you guys, you know. And, uh, you know, because Kenny would say stuff like that when he left, when we left. And, but it was just like his dad, you know. And, and it's interesting that, that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul's describing Timothy, okay, his child, he calls him his child. And he says, he says in verse 20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. You know, when, when, Paul, when Paul took care of people, when Paul was a spiritual father, you know what happened? They started to look just like him. And so now when the Corinthian church is in trouble and he can't get there, you know what he does? He sends Timothy. He's taking care of his kids. 
You know, even though he's not there, he's, he's doing what he can do to take care of his children. And, and, and I love this part. He assesses them. He, he's like, when I get there, I'm going to see what you guys need. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what you need as your spiritual father. And Paul wasn't a one bullet, bullet guy. Look in verse 21. He says, when I get there, we're going to see, see how you're doing. And he says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? You know, Paul says, when I get there, you, you, might, need, you might need the spatula, you know, or the, the, whatever you guys use. My, my mom used the, the fly swatter, the metal fly swatter. You know, that's what she used. You ever had those? That hurt. Um, you want the switch? Okay, in other words, there's a time for correction. There's a time. There's a time when I need to be corrected. There is. There, I mean, we all do, right? Or there's also a time where people don't need correction. You know what they need? They need, they need to be approached with love and a spirit of gentleness. Man, don't crush somebody that's already crushed. Don't do that. That's not what we're talking. A spiritual father doesn't do that. A spiritual father doesn't, doesn't come to the guy who's crushed and repentant and he's, he's trying to live right. And he doesn't just put his heel in his throat, okay? And, and Paul knows that. Paul, Paul's taking care of him as a father takes care of his kids. Last point that we don't have time for is that Paul protected his children. You see that in, in verses 18 through 20. He talks about dealing with these people that are hurting the church. It's a big deal to hurt the church. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Man, you, you don't hurt God's church. You don't hurt God's people. God, God, God takes note of that. We're family. Lincoln, we don't always do that perfect. Um, your family didn't always do it perfect, right? I just told you a story, okay? We don't always, but you know what? We, we, need, we need to strive to take care of each other in this way. And we're praying that God would raise up spiritual men who would not only be spiritual fathers in our church, they would take care of the other men, they would take care of the, the women, they would take care of the kids but that God would raise up spiritual men in their families to not only be a biological dad, but also to be a spiritual dad. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the church. Thank you for giving uh, godly good men in this congregation who, who live out the gospel, who live out faith. God, I pray that, that Lord, that you would... You would teach us and, and speak to us and use other people in this church to build us up in the image of Jesus. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.